Incoming transmission, it's Geek Top 5! Yay! Hooray! The world's number one podcast according to a ranking system entirely of our own devising. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And these are the top five coolest things that happened since the last Geek Top 5. Sliding in straight at number five, hot on the heels of Batman vs. Superman, which is getting contentious reviews, uh, news that essentially the new Superman TV prequel show is coming. Yeah, it seems like uh, that's the way to go. When they've they've already established these characters in the movies, they're going with prequel series like Gotham. And this is as prequel as you can get. Yeah, this series is called Krypton. And it's going to feature Superman's grandfather on Krypton. You know, the character you love and really wanted to see a TV show about. And will have such an impact on the later universe because of the big role that Krypton plays in... Oop! <laughs> Spoilers! So yeah, it's going to be about a guy we've never heard of on a planet that's going to get blown up before we care about anything. Right, and it, I mean, maybe they're uh, anticipating a 25-year run of the show and then Superman can be born in the last episode or something, but it really seems like they're jumping the gun on this. I mean, it sounds like it's going to be very politics-heavy and about these warring factions and Superman's grandpa trying to bring peace to it, but if that's the case... Why even connect it to Superman? Thank you. I was thinking the exact same thing. An idea of a science fiction-y planet with crazy biotechnology and Russell Crowe for some reason. Like, I'll watch that. Yeah. But I, just like the Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, it seems like they're taking Superman names and places and characters and doing something with them that I'm just not interested in. Is it just like, so they can get an easy green light? Like, is it easier for them to get the, the show on the air if they tie it into an established property somehow? See, I have no idea. And it seems especially strange because of all the things DC's doing, the thing that they're doing right right now is these TV shows. It's Flash and the Arrow. Like, like everybody loves these shows. Right. Gotham's getting... It, people like it. I don't think it's quite I as popular. I think but, it's getting more fans this year than it did last year. So it seems like... I mean, why not do something with Superman, but then have it set on another planet in another time frame, completely removed from everything we care about? Yeah, and with it, the characters won't have Superman's powers, assuming they follow established continuity. They won't have... There won't be anything like Earth. There won't be any sign of Kal-El. Or... Yeah, the only thing we've really seen is that first, I mean, it felt like years, but I guess it was probably a half hour of Man of Steel on Krypton where they had sort of the heavy metal vibe going. Yeah, and we don't even know if this is necessarily going to be connected to that. True. We don't know that the shows are even connected to the movie universe yet. There hasn't been any guaranteed crossover. Yeah, it's like uh, there was also the established... Uh, bit of Krypton in the first Superman movie with uh, with Marlon Brando as, as Superman's dad sending him off on the rocket. And it's a completely different version of Krypton than the one in the new movies. And I think you see even more of it in the Supergirl movie from the, the 80s with Helen Slater and uh, Faye Dunaway, I think. Yeah, even in the comics and the books, from what I recall, there's never been like a single unified, like, this is what Krypton is like. Yeah. So on the one hand gives them a lot of ground to do something interesting and creative. But if you're going to do an interesting and creative science fiction show, just do an interesting and creative science fiction show. Yeah. Uh, if I remember yeah, correctly, this is, I mean, it's, it's sci-fi, or sci-fi as it's pronounced in English, a language right. that most of us speak. <laughs> sci-fi has picked this up, so they're no stranger to having crazy science fiction shows. The tie-in seems a bit strange. I can't figure out whether like, what's it going to be. Is it going to be a cool science fiction story, or is it going to somehow be a Superman story? Those two don't necessarily overlap. 
The other side of it is that Sifi uh, or Sci-Fi or however you want to call it. Sifi. They are a, a, a cable channel, but they're not like a cool cable channel like AMC or HBO where they can have these huge budget shows. And they're not uh, a network show like or a network like CW or Fox where they can have a decent budget and make cool sets and have cool cast members like... Uh, the Flash and Gotham and Arrow and all of those. It falls somewhere in the middle, so it's it's. I don't know. I feel like it's not going to have enough budget to really make it stand out. It's not going to have enough familiar characters to make you want to watch it. It just it's in this negative zone. Uh, a phantom zone. A phantom zone, if you will. Yeah. And uh, it's also David Goyer is the only like big name creative person behind it. He wrote the Blade movies. He's written some comic books. He directed Blade Three. Um, Ooh, yeah. That is not a that is not a mark in his favor. He does have writing credits on uh, I think all of the Christopher Nolan um, Batman movies. Yeah. He also has a writing credit on Man of Steel. So he's he's sort of all over the place as far as the quality of the work he's produced. So it's I don't know. He's not he, he he's not enough to get me excited. And there's nothing else there. It seems like yeah. It just like they've picked some place what we know nothing about. There's nothing that just. It seems like a very strange decision to mar these two ideas. Now, that being said, all we do know about it is that there's a pilot being produced and there's one guy we've heard of involved, so we'll just have to wait and see. Maybe maybe we'll be totally blown away when we start seeing trailers. Yeah, it might be Game of Kryptonian Thrones. Who yeah. knows? Moving on to number four. Um, a bunch of details got released about Hasbro's shared universe. I guess everybody's got to be doing a shared universe now, and Hasbro wants to be next on the list. Yeah, ever since Marvel proved that you can have movies that are connected into one universe, sort of like different episodes of a TV show, except it's all different movies and loosely connected, which comic books have been doing for 75 years, now they've realized, wow, we can do that with movies too, and audiences will actually understand what's going on. Everyone wants to do these, these shared universes. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, as far back, like, Universal wanted to do their Monster Mash universe yeah. with Dracula and the Wolfman and all that stuff. Which, Dra- yeah, Dracula, Dracula Untold was not great. No. Um, and also, it was bad. It could have been a lot worse, but there was nothing memorable about it. And I don't even know, is that the start of that shared universe? See, that's the interesting thing. It was when it came out. Now they're saying that the mummy is going to be the start of that oh. shared universe. I just there doesn't seem to be any explanation. It just they sort of slid their time frame forward a bit. Right. Uh, before we get too far off and talking about the insane shared universes, <laughs> um, so the, the franchises Hasbro wants to put in here. I mean, they're starting with GI Joe, obviously. Of course, makes sense. Hugely popular. Really deep characters, deep bench of characters. Yeah, a bit, all of which uh, you know were designed to be sold. And let's be fair, they've already crossed over with everyone already. Yeah, you can find GI Joe meets X and just fill in the blank. Or combo. Right. Yeah, there's a ton. The next one on the list is Micronauts, which are the small, lousy, bad Transformers your parents bought you and they couldn't afford real Transformers. I thought those were GoBots. Uh, also GoBots. <laughs> so the Micronauts didn't really have a cartoon, but they did have a fairly long-running comic book series that was put out by Marvel, and they, it got tied in with with the X-Men. There's a big Micronauts-X-Men crossover and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some good stuff. There's certainly room to draw from. Yeah. The plot. And I remember having a G.I. Joe Micronaut toy. Okay. So clearly that's already happened. And the third one on the list is the Visionaries, or the Knights of the Magical Light, which that's not a big one. Um, right. 13 episodes? If you grew up in the 80s, early, early 90s, you might remember these guys, like they're knights, but they're wearing space armor, and they have what looks like big TVs on their chests, 
with a picture of an animal. If you remember that, those were these guys. I don't remember it, but I did watch the intro and I was like, how did this even make it to 13 episodes? Well, a lot of those cartoons barely made it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But they, it's a franchise they own, so maybe they can reinvigorate. It's, so it's it's a dystopian future, I think, where technology... Or another planet or something? Also probably another planet. Um, technology has stopped, and now there's magic again. And there's lots of overtones of Arthur and the Knights at the Round Table. Like, their wizard, it isn't Merlin, but it's like Merkrin or yeah. something like that. <laughs> Merkin. <laughs> and the bad guy is Mortdread. Like, right. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's Knights of the Round Table in space. Uh, and then after that is Mask, the Mobile Armored Strike Command, Ugh. with a K. Yeah, this I hadn't heard of either, but I watched the intro for this on YouTube. You do Mask. It was amazing, that <laughs> intro. Mask falls pretty heavily in with G.I. Joe. I don't think I knew the difference when I was a kid. It looks like G.I. Joe meets Transformers. They have, like, transforming cars that they ride in. and yeah. uh, the, the bad guys are Venom instead of Cobra. Right. It, they weren't really big on writing ideas no. back then. But I, I saw it lasted two seasons, so I was like, oh, it must have been like Visionaries, where it barely had a run. But it had 75 episodes in those two seasons. And remember, back in those days, they were airing like three or four episodes of these cartoons, you know, an hour. Right, right. <laughs> so seasons were a lot bigger back then. It might have still <laughs> been just one season. Um, last one on the list is Rom. That one I don't know. Rom Space Knight. He was a, a toy that got licensed. He was just like a, a crappy looking toy and they sold the license to do comics to Marvel and Marvel did this huge run with it. He crossed over into pretty much every book. There are hardcore Rom Space Knight fans. I know at least two who have hunted through tons of dollar bins to get every single Rom issue. So do you know half of the Rom Space Knight fans who have ever lived? I think I might. I think I might. <laughs> but there are a lot in the comic book industry who, uh, now Marvel doesn't have the rights to that character anymore, so they can't republish those issues. They can't republish any issues they tied into. Like, I have a huge hardcover that collects every issue of Secret Wars 2 from the 80s, but the one issue it's missing is the ROM Space Knight issue. And so it's it's... It's like a holy grail for for some of these Marvel writers who grew up reading it and now want to use the character in their continuity, but it's so tricky legally that they end up not bothering. Uh, looks like they're on top of it now. In any case, those are the franchises they're bringing in. Um, Hasbro fans will note the immediate absence of the Transformers, which has to be their strongest brand, except for maybe G.I. Joe. Now... The part of the reason for that, I think, is because they've already got a whole separate writing team of maybe a dozen writers working just on a, a sort of shared Transformers universe. And one of the big names on that is Robert Kirkman, who was the creator of The Walking Dead. So they've already think they, you know, they've got enough bank from Transformers on their own and they don't want to cross it over. Yeah, they don't want to necessarily contaminate it with these lesser franchises. Well, but it's, it's funny you call them lesser. Like, part of the news behind this was that they have a lot of big names in the writer's room for this, right? Yeah, in my, doing my research on it, a lot of the names are a lot bigger than the names on uh, the, the uh, Transformers one. Brian K. Vaughn is a huge comic book writer. He's the showrunner on Under the Dome, that Stephen King movie, or TV show, rather. He is also the creator of Why the Last Man, the Marvel series The Runaways. He's, he's got a great body of work. I love pretty much everything he's done. So I'm excited to see his name on it. Uh, Michael Chabon, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Chabon? Chabon? Anyway, he's a great, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. Uh, he's a great asset to have. And uh, also the writer of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies on board. 
So they're booking it hardcore to invest in this thing. Yeah. I, like we said earlier, everyone wants a shared universe. The question arises, you know, are they going to do it Marvel style? Or are we going to see a ton of G.I. Joe stuff and then a ton of Micronaut stuff? We don't even know what stuff it's going to be. Are they going to be new comics? Are they going to be new TV cartoons? Are they going to be movies? I thought, I, I was under the impression it was going to be movies. But I don't understand how you tie these characters in together. They're so disparate. I mean, there must be a way, but Space Knights and uh, Transformer G.I. Joe guys and G.I. Joe, it just seems all over the map. And it's going to be up to them. I mean, I guess that's why they invest in the heavy writers. Um, So, Geek Top 5's opinion, this this is crazy. (laughs) I'm excited based on the talent involved. I am boggled as to the choices in the franchises they're putting together in this. You gotta wonder if those writers are sweating right now. Yeah. Just about to pass out from fear. Well, hopefully they've got many, many hundred dollar bills that they can fan themselves with while they're uh, worrying about this. Living the dream. (laughs) Number three... I mean, back to the world of gaming for a bit. Kerbal Space Program got a giant patch upgraded to 1.1 over the past week. Um, Okay, please explain. In truth, this isn't that big news. If you're a big Kerbal Space Program fan, it's a big patch. You should check it out. There are a lot of updates. The more important thing here is that Kerbal Space Program is starting to get really big. What is Kerbal Space Program, I hear you asking? (laughs) You might remember in the early 90s when flight simulators were really big. Um, everyone, you know, you could have you had computer games, you know, left and right, but you sometimes you have know the guy who got a really sophisticated computer set up, and all he did was stare out at the cockpit at the sky all day and check the altimeter. Yeah, this, I mean, yes, it's technically a game, but it's considered a simulator. What it was meant to do was to simulate the experience of being a pilot in a commercial aircraft. And the people who were interested in it were sort of interested for the, like, how do you describe it? Like the science and aerodynamics and experience of keeping all this stuff in their heads. Right. Kerbal Space Program was developed by some guys in Mexico called Squad. I had a rough release in 2011 and then got much better known in 2013 on Steam Early Access. It's considered the poster child for Steam's Early Access program. Essentially saying, here's the basics of the game, we're still working on it. Buy it now for cheap, and you can start playing it, and we'll roll out the updates and stuff, but we'll also use your money to make it better. Okay, so it's kind of like a Kickstarter, but you actually get a, Yeah, but a you game. get something yeah. immediately. Uh, it was on early access in 2013, and then it was fu- fully released last year, in April of 2015. What it essentially is, is it takes the flight simulator experience and branches it out. It's a space program simulator. Essentially, you're managing this sort of cartoony version of NASA, and all you really do is build spaceships and then launch them into space and do stuff with them. But it's not like Star Wars, where to launch an X-Wing, you know, you press the H button to go into hyperspace and you're good. This simulates Newtonian physics for an entire solar system. Wow. And it's mind-blowingly fascinating. I mean, you have to be a hyper-dork to really get into it. And yes, I've got that under my belt. Now, before we go on, just to sidestep the news for one second here and get into the personal... Did you put money into it in the early access thing? You know what? I think I did. It was still tech... Because I bought it before 2015. So it had already been out for a while, and it had already been getting rave reviews. And again, let me clarify what I mean when I say rave reviews here. Yeah, video game critics liked it and stuff, but... You know, the news broke that apparently for about a month it took over the Jet Propulsion Laboratory at NASA. Hmm. All these guys were doing was playing Kerbal Space Program. You know, Elon Musk, all he was doing was playing Kerbal Space Program. All these people who are really sending things into space, 
They love this thing. Right. It just It's a sandbox. You get a bunch of different parts. You put them together. You try to see what happens when it goes to space. It's also got sort of a comedic tone. The, the Kerbals are the, the characters in this game. They owe a lot in inspiration to the minions from Despicable Me. Mm. You picture one, you're sort of picturing the other. So it's got a very tongue-in-cheek thing, but when you're launching a ship into orbit... I mean, yeah, when you see the Enterprise settle into orbit around a planet, you forget it doesn't work like that. The Enterprise, at that point, is actually traveling incredibly fast, falling back and forth around this planet, which is <laughs> going through space incredibly fast around a star. And when you're actually sending something into space, you actually need to know how to do that. So the first time I started this program, you know, I launched my rocket up. Up makes sense, right? Well, right. no. You need to go up and sort of to the side, because what you want to do is you need to get away from the planet and then going fast enough that you fall away from it just enough so that the gravity pulls you back around. And that's how you set up an orbit. So, okay, so you, I know a lot of time in the game is spent building the ship, right? Depends who you are. In okay. my case, I love customizing, so right. yes, I agonize over the designs of these ships. Which, let's be fair, are rockets. Right. There's a big difference. <laughs> So, okay, so you, you build your ship, you send it into space, then what? Then whatever you want. Some people, I mean, you know, my first goal was I wanted to land on the moon. Mm. And, and then, How traditional of you. Well, yeah, you know, got to do it right. <laughs> but then I've seen, you know, if you search this thing on the net, some people have built space stations. Wow. Uh, which actually makes a lot of sense, but, like, there's nothing in the game that says build space station. What they do is they give you a bunch of parts. So you think, okay, what parts do I want for my space station? I'll need like a like a, a habitation module for people to live. So here's a habitation module. How do I get it up there? So then you design a launch system for that habitation module, and then you get it up there. And then you think, okay, I'm going to connect some solar panels and a fuel tank to it. So then you get the solar panels and the fuel tank up there, but then you realize that your habitation module's in an orbit that's just a little off from the orbit you have, and you think, like, damn it, how do I go from one orbit to another? <laughs> Has it given you a newfound respect for NASA? I've always had a huge respect for NASA. What it's given me a newfound respect for is my own limitations <laughs> as a person. Right. <laughs> there is no way I could keep up with the math of getting stuff to space. Just the Tsiolkovsky, the rocket formula. It's like, so you need to get something into space, so you need to you put a bunch of fuel to burn. But now you've added fuel, so it's heavier, so it's not enough to get into space. So you add more fuel, but now it's heavier. <laughs> So, there's a, this Tchaikovsky was a Soviet scientist who came up with this formula. The way it works is because, obviously, not all the fuel is there while you're doing a launch. The fuel's burning away. Mm. So, there's a formula that you can use to calculate how much fuel you need based on how much is going to be there, what the delta V, a change in velocity is as you go, as you burn fuel. It's right. like, And that's about my ceiling, intellectually, I, as a person. I... I can already tell I'm too stupid to even install this game, never mind play it. This sounds like way beyond me. It's so cool. You should give it a try. <laughs> the reason it's in the news, they've just released a patch that updates a bunch of stuff. It, it cleans up a lot of the aerodynamics. It looks better. It runs better. There's new parts. Now's the time to try it. It's for sale on Steam. I think there are also ports on modern-day consoles. I can't imagine it would be nearly as good. But if you've got a PC, you've got to give this a try if you're even the least bit interested in the actual space program. Hmm. It's, a, it's so great. Number two on the list, uh, God of War was the almost flagship franchise of the PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 3 era, the God of War 3 coming out for the PlayStation 3. 
Um, had a couple of sort of prequel spin-offs to sell their portable, the PlayStation Portable, and then one terrible attempt at a cash-in, hmm. sort of a God of War 3.5. And then the series was done. Now they're saying maybe it's not. This is coming from Sony's Santa Monica studio. A bunch of concept art got leaked from the studio, from a team that everyone's fairly certain is working on God of War 4, that takes the character and switches it around a bit. What God of War is, is essentially you play a character in Greek mythology. Right. Now, so, a few things you already know if you're a student of Greek mythology. It's very violent. Yeah. It's very sexy. It's very disturbing. Um, This game originally came out in 2005, so I'm assuming we're past the spoiler warning part. Okay. If you know Greek mythology, you're not surprised to know it turns out that you're the son of Zeus. Right. Uh, your character isn't happy with the Greek pantheon because none of those characters ever are. This is the story of why no one worships the Greek gods anymore. This is how they all ended. So the god of war in the title doesn't necessarily refer to the main character, right? Your, the original title refers to Ares. Um, your character becomes a disciple of Ares, the Greek god of war, and is you know a horrible, murdering son of a gun. Uh, and in the setup for the game is that in part of a sort of your drunken murdering rage, you're murdering a bunch of people and he accidentally murders his own wife and daughter. Uh-oh. And now, oh no, how, like what have I become? But can't quite get over, you know, he's not going to blame himself. It's not his fault. It's <laughs> Ares' fault. Ares is the one who took him under his wing. So it's a story about his revenge against Ares. Hmm. It then turns into sort of his revenge against the entire Greek pantheon. Um, it actually turns into, I mean, it's definitely an action-oriented game, but it's a very well-acted, very well-written story with Terrence C. Howard playing the voice of Kratos, the protagonist, who goes through just this brutal deicide spree, and it really wraps up. Towards the end, he really like, has to deal with what he's become and try to make things better, and in the doing so, ends up essentially wiping out the entire pantheon, and then the story's over. So what what did they do in 3.5 or whatever? To... They, it was like it took place in between 1 and 2 oh, okay. or something. of those, you know, those games. Right, right, right. Yeah. The story's over. And it was actually really well done. Hmm. Now they're thinking of making a fourth one. How are they going to do that, we all said. Well, there was the leak of this concept art, and it looks like what they're doing is they're just switching the mythologies a little. Now we're seeing all this concept art of the, what looks to be the character Kratos in Norse mythology. Instead of Greek mythology. Okay, so there seems to be two possibilities here. One is that it's a straight-up reboot, and it's just a guy who is fitting... A new character who's fitting into the same sort of look as Kratos, and he's going to have a similar story where he goes after the Norse versions of the, the gods. Or it's Kratos himself now fighting the Norse gods. Which... A, which do you think it is, and B, which do you think sounds like a better idea? I don't know if it's either, and I don't know that either are a good idea. Mm. I mean, I stress that the story is over because that character had a real real arc, and he's finished. He's done everything he needed to do. It was They actually did it really well in-game. Um, bringing that character back at this point, like there's nothing more for him to do. He's grown as a character, he's overcome his personal things, he's made right as best he could, and, I mean, again, he's probably dead. Mm. Which, to be fair, in Greek mythology doesn't make a big difference. Right. There's, including the two side games, I think there are five God of War games, I'm pretty sure he actually dies and goes to Hades in every single one of them. <laughs> 
He certainly does in the three main trilogy games. Okay. And it's not a big deal. Right, right. <laughs> so certainly they could bring him back. The question is why. And the answer to why is because those games were hugely popular and made Sony a ton of bank. Right. But is it a better idea just to reboot it with something fresh? Like you could call it a God of War game, but make it an original plot. I think that's the better way to go. We don't know if that's what they're doing. And to be fair, again, this all just comes from a leak of art. Right. So we don't know if that's what's happening. It's just interesting because so many people have really gotten into these. Whenever you see video game cosplay, you see somebody doing Kratos. It's yeah. The, if you've seen the guy all pale with the red tattoos going up and the two sort of really ridiculous looking daggers, that's him. Or her. It's, I've seen people do it either way. <laughs> I don't know. This is sort of the same apprehension I had when they talked about bringing Star Wars back. Well, that turned and, out. And it turned out fantastic. Yeah. But, again, it makes you wonder, what are they going to do? Like, if, Is it going to be son of Kratos in this case? And he's going to have to go find Kratos when looking for the first Greek mythological temple? It does seem like the uh, Norse mythology is you know, in some ways better suited to this sort of violent game with the Vikings having these honorable deaths that lead to Valhalla and, and things like that. It's there's a, it's a bit more of a violent mythology than the Greek one is. Eh, it could go either way. There's The Greek mythology has a lot of, like, you know, gods like turning into swans and raping each other and then killing each other's children. Like, yeah. It's, like, it's one of those things like the grim fairy tales where they sort of skip over the heavy details until you get into high school and really have a look at what they right. wrote. But it's like the Norse ones are, are, there's no skipping over it. Like, violence is embedded in all of the stuff. <laughs> that's all they've got? Yeah, that's yeah. all there is. And so, it, it, it for a game called God of War, that seems like it would be a good fit. And, you know, if you did cosplay as a character from that, you wouldn't have to wear a skirt if you're a guy. And that's got to be uh, uh, appealing to most uh, male cosplayers, Man, I don't, don't, take, don't tell that to a Scotsman. Those right. warrior kilts, <laughs> they're serious about those things. Fair enough. Um, it's interesting that it's two interesting things. Interesting that it happened, and interesting that there's been no comment from the studio. I mean, and of course, they're not obligated to comment in any way. Like, this wasn't even an official release. Right. But do they even know what they're doing? Is it still in the planning phase? We know nothing, but the hype train has left the station. And you wonder, maybe that was what was mm. behind all of this? Mm. It's a tough call. So you're tentatively excited. I am tentatively interested. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, now to number one, the most interesting thing that happened in the last little while. Interesting and kind of embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I only found out about this because of the Twitter feed of the writer of the, or like the, seemingly the main writer of the current Star Wars novels, Chuck Wendig. And uh, he posted a very long blog talking about this. Uh, and yeah, definitely a little embarrassing. Yeah, so let's... um. Okay, so here's the quick breakdown. Star Wars movies came out, and they wanted to cash in on that, so they decided to expand the stories through books and comic books and video games. In doing so, over the years, a bunch of different authors and a bunch of different writing teams created a whole new slew of characters, new adventures, just you know, the continuing years of Star Wars Essentially, one, even two generations into the future. And for all we knew growing up, and, and all we had to go on was that these this was it. This is what was going to be the future of Star Wars. Yeah. This is all there was. Some of it was good. You know, we had like you know, Timothy Zahn's like, the Grand Admiral Thrawn trilogy is considered the best. Some of it was not so good. 
um, Trioculus, the Emperor Palpatine's illegitimate son. Oh, boy. Yeah, guess how many eyes he has. Mm, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. And it turns out, actually an imposter for Emperor Palpatine's real illegitimate son, Triclops. Classy. This is just a... Uh, it's good uh, and bad. Yeah. Skip ahead a few years, and Disney buys a Star Wars license, and they say, listen... There is so much material out there of varying quality. It already contradicts itself because there's been no coordination to it. And there's no way we can pay the licenses to 170 authors. We're calling that that Legends. Mm-hmm. That is now Star Wars Legends, which is actually a clever title. Yeah. The idea being that maybe there's a kernel of truth in there, but in terms of what's considered canon, which is a geek word to describe what's real in a fake universe... <laughs> In terms of what's canon, yeah. it's up for grabs. The most obvious distinction, for instance, in those legends, Han and Leia have kids, of mm-hmm. course, but they have twins, or so they're firstborns. Now we know from The Force Awakens that never happened. In fact, they only had a son. Okay, well, all so, right. So, what's happening now <laughs> is a group of Star Wars fans... Fans. Sure, yeah, definitely fans in the traditional sense. In the of traditional the word. sense, oh, fanatic. They saw this uh, this uh, this changeover and they said, "Nay, nay." <laughs> um, and they took it upon themselves to raise almost five grand to put up a billboard in San Francisco to advertise their intent to essentially petition Disney to keep on continuing with the expanded universe with the Legends franchise because they don't want those stories to die right. just because they've rebooted the universe for their hit movie. Now, I can I, I can appreciate wanting to raise money. I can appreciate being passionate about it. But I don't see the logic of spending that money on a billboard. Like, who is that going to influence? Well, what has happened is that now it's covered in the news. And so I they've gotten attention. But is that attention merited? I mean, a lot of these people are the kind of people who wholeheartedly reject The Force Awakens because it contradicts this universe that's grown they've grown so close to. Guys, I get it. I love some of that stuff in the Legends, in the expanded universe. I love Grand Admiral Thrawn. I love Mara Jade. I loved Centerpoint Station. I didn't love the Yuuzhan Vong so much. They spent, like, ten years having Star Wars fight dominatrix aliens, and that was a bit... Eh, but regardless, I love a lot that's out there, but that's not gone. You can still read those books. Yeah. You can still play those games. You know, the same people who complain that their childhoods were ruined by the special editions, well, those those movies, you still remember them. Yeah, and now you can get access to them, and I'm pretty sure Disney's going to release them in proper... Blu-ray formats at some point. Yeah. But the idea of saying, no, everything you spent hundreds of billions of dollars on... Yeah. Sorry, hundreds of millions. They spent, what, five billion for the franchise? Something like that. Oh, about that much again to, for the movie and the marketing. But the idea of, taking, of petitioning this company to say, like, no, that was bad, go back to doing it the old, confusing, broken way? You gotta let go. Yeah. And I mean, I read some of those. I like them. But I think if anyone had told me you can trade all of this for a new good Star Wars movie, I would have done it in a heartbeat. Would not have even broken a sweat. Yeah. They're not that close to my heart. And I don't have to trade them. Those books are still on sale. I would have traded them. I would have wiped them from existence to get a new Star Wars movie. Because that's what, to my mind, is the, the... crux of that universe is the movies yeah and there's things in the movies that contradict those expanded universes and the movies are for better or for worse what's canon right um when disney bought it they said okay here's what matters it's all six movies 
and our cartoon shows and the new books. And like the new cartoon and, shows, not Ewoks or not, Yeah, <laughs> right. Specifically Clone Wars and Rebels. And the new books that are coming out now, like the ones you mentioned by Chuck Wendig, that we're now coordinating a la Marvel with their shared universe stuff, because again, the shared universe stuff is important. Yeah. And they've said the rest of it, they haven't said it doesn't matter. They've said it's up for grabs. And they're still they're they're still republishing those books. It's not like they're gonna let them disappear. If if there's one popular enough that they feel they can still make money on it, they'll put a new edition out. They won't advertise it heavily to avoid confusion, but they'll still be there for you to get. And that's what it comes right down to. I mean, regardless of whether you liked them or you didn't, they're still there. If you want, if you're so mad at Disney for ch- throwing them out that you want them to change it back, I gotta disagree with you, but that's your opinion. If you want to spend all that money on yeah. a billboard yeah. to advertise it, guys, come on. There's other things to spend the money on. Lucasfilm is running their Force for Change campaign right now. Yeah. Raising money for things that you really need to spend money on. I love Star Wars. You've probably picked up on it if you listened to the previous episodes, how much I love Star Wars. But it's still just a science fiction franchise. Yeah. It's a science fiction franchise I buy toys of and dress up of and wish I was part of. But at the end of the day, it's not that big a deal. Spend like, You can talk all you want about the differences between special edition and regular, Legends versus New Canon, but spending five grand on a billboard... That's over the crazy line. Yeah, I gotta gotta agree with you on that one. In any case, that's the top five things that happened this week. We'll be right back for the second part of the show, so stay tuned for more Geek Top 5. Welcome to the top five portion of Geek Top 5. Geek Top 5. This week we have a very special guest. He is... Uh, a comic book writer who's worked on such diverse properties as Skull Kickers, Wayward, Samurai Jack, Conan the Barbarian, and coming up soon from Marvel in early May, Thunderbolts. Now, to be fair, the Thunderbolts are not our guest. No. <laughs> we do have... They couldn't make it. <laughs> we do have, instead, Jim Zub. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure to have you here. So... What uh, So the list you've brought today is uh, the top five Thunderbolts, right? Yeah, so a little bit of background material for anyone who doesn't know who the Thunderbolts are. So the Thunderbolts are a, a comic team uh, of the Marvel Universe, and they've been around since 1997. Uh, they were launched in, by Kurt Busiek and Mark Bagley, who are the writer and artist team on it. And so the, the core concept, although the team has gone through a bunch of it, different iterations over the years, the idea is basically that they're villains trying to do good. So they're villains trying to redeem themselves, or they're villains on a path of redemption, sometimes kind of double agents where they're not really uh, heroes, sometimes where they're, um, you know, villainous, trying to pretend to be heroes, or they're uh, trying to ingratiate themselves with some of the do-gooders. In some cases, they are able to redeem themselves. In other cases, they fail horribly. But lots of morally gray area kind of uh, superhero shenanigans. So you've read, like, every issue of Thunderbolts ever put out doing research for this. But did you read it when it first started? Were you reading Thunderbolts? I read a few of them. So by 97, I wasn't a regular superhero comic reader. I'd kind of faded back and was into more indie stuff and manga and things like that. So I didn't read it during its original run, although I did pick up some of them later on in collection. So I I, kind of, you know, it's like... 
comic book osmosis. You kind of pick up on bits and pieces from people. Um, but yeah, I have read it all now. Once I got the, like I read some of them when they were coming out and I read some of the, the Warren Ellis issues and the Jake Parker ones that were really good. Or is it Jeff Parker? It's Jeff Parker. Jeff Parker. What am I saying? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> the Jeff Parker issues when they first came out. And now, uh, you know, once I got the gig at Marvel, I went back and I literally reread everything. So I read all the Thunderbolts issues, all the Dark Avengers issues, and that was uh, a voluminous. It was over 200 issues of comics I read in about a week and a half with a notepad at my side, (laughs) scrawling down all the little info about uh, the relationships of the characters. So essentially, when we're telling, you know, when you're giving us the top five Thunderbolts, you are qualified yeah. to tell us who the top five Thunderbolts are. Uh, yeah, you in, got this. In my humble opinion, these are the top five Thunderbolts up until the start of my run, at which point the top five will be my team, which is just yeah. five Thunderbolts totally kicking ass. So, All right, well, let's jump right into it. Who is it at number five? So number five is kind of a goonie choice, just because I had to put him in there. So uh, during uh, during the Parker run, they've got Man Thing. So Man Thing acts as almost like their teleportation device. They've kind of the team has uh, captured him, sort of captured him, made this like swamp like environment for him, and they're using his mystical powers to allow them to teleport anywhere or in some cases any when that they need to go. And I love a man thing. I think he's just a weird kooky. I love all the supernatural stuff in the Marvel universe and using this guy as somewhere between like their taxi service and the fact that he's like this big vegetative wacko. I just thought that was really fun and it gave the series a really bizarro edge. I when I saw the name on the list, I was pretty sure you only put him there so you could say giant size man thing. Giant size man thing. <laughs> The greatest. Now, my interpretation of this character, like, he seems pretty much difficult to distinguish from just the Swamp Thing. I, like, that's a lie. That's a damn lie. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Which the other thing... He's pretty much the Swamp Thing. Yeah. Is that he was created before Swamp Thing. He was. It's which true. is crazy. Okay, I take it back then. The Swamp Thing is pretty much just Man's <laughs> Thing. That's right. That's better. <laughs> but that's, like, you talk about they're just using him for teleporting. That's pretty yeah. much all he does, right? It's like, he's magic and he's in the what Swamp. What I liked about his series, his own series back in the day, was that the stories were all, like... He was always around. He was always a part of the stories, but there were always other characters doing things, finding themselves inevitably in the swamp. And then whatever drama they had built up, he would pay off because, you know, whoever so knows fear burns at the man thing's touch. And so whoever was like the guilty party in the in the dramatic story or whatever trouble they were causing, he would always sort of amp things up to an nth degree. So he didn't really, he doesn't talk much, right? He's He does like, later in the Parker run, so they okay. kind of find a way to contact his sentience. And he's surprisingly eloquent. Actually, that's not entirely true. What he does is, if I recall correctly, they find a way to communicate with him, and each character hears him in a voice that's compatible with them. So, for example, when Power Man's talking to him, he's all like, kind of like a Bronx guy as well. <laughs> and then when he's talking to, you know, the mystics, he's talking in this highfalutin, supernatural sort of uh, mystical talk. That's and then cool. when he's talking to, oh crap, what's his name? Uh, Juggernaut. He's like, you know, they're just insulting each other and, and being jackasses. So uh, it's kind of wonderful. And so with all that mystical power, the fact that they use this guy essentially, like you said, like as a cab service. Yeah. And that's just, that's just mostly a gag. That's amazing. It's totally, it's total high art in uh, comic book writing. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Is it supposed to imply this sort of morally ambiguous thing that the Thunderbolts are doing? Or is it just a funny joke? Well, it is this morally ambiguous thing where later on, they once they realize that he's far more intelligent than they thought, they're like, oh crap, we've been keeping this guy in the basement, basically. <clears throat> and he ends up admitting that he's totally, he's sort of okay with it. It's, it's, it's really neat, and it's just goofy. And comics are able to get away with so much 
weird stuff, particularly something as multifaceted as the Marvel Universe. And I just love that you can have such weird characters slamming up against each other in a storyline. So, man, things in there. Uh, I'm sure arguably people be like, there's so many other Thunderbolts who have done more important <laughs> things in the story, but they're not making this list, so <laughs> number five. That shows them. Man thing. Before, just before we move on, you mentioned Juggernaut. One yeah. of, I, I love these redemptive stories for, for villains, and you know Chuck Austin, his X-Men run is not mm. very well regarded, and he, he wrote the, the book for a while, and he did a lot of ridiculous things like make Nightcrawler's father a demon and... Stuff like that, which was right. not not well received. But I did like what he did with Juggernaut and redeemed him. And I, I like the opportunity of Thunderbolts to sort of continue that story. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a lot of neat storylines that characters that move in and out of the team. And some of the core members that come back around time and time again. But it's kind of fun that the, the Thunderbolts are a weird constant through the 90s and into the early 2000s where they're always there. And they're just bringing these goony villains in. And some of them have you know, cross-purposes. I just think the series has got a real fun dynamic. Nice. Mm. All right, well, who, let's move on to number four. All right, so number four on my list <clears throat> is uh, Atlas. So Atlas, who was originally known as Goliath, actually originally known as Power Man, long before the Luke Cage Power Man. But Atlas is one of the successful redemptive characters. He's this guy who can increase his mass and size and, and uh, gets super strong and, and kicks ass. And um, he's a real simple character in that way that he wants to do better, he wants to be more, and it's sort of his own limitations of, of he gets himself in these bad situations, or he wants to find, he's more a soldier than a leader, he wants to find someone to to lead him, essentially, and so he follows Zemo, and Zemo's in charge, and he follows, you know, whoever is in charge of the team, he kind of clings to them for some sort of support system. And I always found him interesting because he's, He's the backbone of the team sort of emotionally in the sense of like he wants to be better. He wants to do something more than just break into banks and steal money after a while. And his highs and lows and his sort of failures and successes uh, define a big chunk of the, the Thunderbolts in the their sort of prime. Now, the stuff with Power Man, just to clarify... I know a lot of people are looking up Luke Cage these days right. because of the show. Yeah, but they like so he so this he was guy a, an Avengers villain originally called Power Man. Yeah, this is like early early Avengers. I think Roy Thomas Avengers. I think so. Yeah, and so we're talking. I couldn't tell you the the issue number off the top of my head, but Kurt Busiek would be able to tell you. Um, but yeah, so, <laughs> why isn't he here? Yeah, <laughs> far more high profile guest. Um, but yeah, the uh, uh, he was called Power Man for a while, and and then he gets these. Um, he stole the the I think the Giant Man serum from Hank Pym, and then he becomes eventually Goliath. Just, and then, sorry, Goliath is the villain name. Right. And then when Thunderbolt starts, he needs like a fake hero identity, right. and that's where Atlas comes from. Yeah, totally. And, right? and, and for what like you'll one notice, issue in there in between, he was also a smuggler. Yeah, that's right. He's the <laughs> smuggler. I forget about that. Yeah, so he's got these uh, weird identities and all this stuff. He's never quite been a super villain. Like, he's a super villain, but he's not like top top tier. Right. He's got one of those B... He's it's like Stilt Man. It's the Halloween episode. No, he, he's not Stilt Man. Come on. <laughs> sorry, sorry. But in the Masters of Evil, he's the, like a big bruiser and he's like, you know, there was a storyline when I was growing up, uh, there's a, uh, I think a two or three part Avengers story where uh, Zemo and, and the Masters of Evil tear down the Avengers mansion. Right. And I love that story so much and, and Goliath beats the crap out of Hercules and it's just a really cool storyline and so watching him trying to turn his life around. I just feel like 
he's a he's a really neat character and he's got a good little emotional arc. And then so where is he ended up now? Is like is he still He's on the new team, so he's on my team. He is on your team. So yeah. obviously he's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to exploring sort of you know new stuff with him. There's an event happening right now called Avengers Standoff and the new Thunderbolts team sort of rolls out of that. And so he's caught up in those events right now and uh yeah, it's some really uh, it's some really neat storytelling. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to have to look forward to the rest of that. Uh, who's up next? Who's in number three? Number three is The Fixer. So he's also on the new team, and he is a core member, one of the original founding members of the Thunderbolts. His heroic name was Techno, but he quickly reverts back to The Fixer because he is still a villainous, troublemaking guy. And so he uh, has he's a genius inventor. And he has all this technology that can sort of morph into whatever kinds of devices he needs in order to make things happen. So he's the technological backbone of the team whenever they need to scan for something or hack into something or get files or build stuff. He's their their mechanic, engineer, technician, um, and he's very morally ambiguous throughout the series. So whereas Atlas is like the heart, like trying to do better... Fixer's kind of like using everyone all the time. So he's just like, yeah, I'll, as long as I can get what I want out of a situation, I will manipulate. Although what's funny is, is midway through the run, he gets uh, betrayed by the villains that he's trying to double cross the team with. And so he ends up coming back and helping the team, even though they don't know it. He actually hides out in their hideout, pretends to be another character, and right. like keeps an eye out for them. And later on, they're like, why did you do that? And he just sort of like... Kind of, kind of dodges the question like he doesn't want to admit that he actually likes them or actually wants to work with them. Now, is that something we're assuming? Like, it, like, or, like what I'm saying is, it sounds like that he was just doing that so he could get his revenge, right? But do we actually see that he kind of likes being the he hero? Seems or is to, that... Even on his own private time, he's made a couple uh, choices where he could have let people die or he could have gotten more out of a situation, and he he sort of tilts towards. I wouldn't say goodness, but more good than you expect, if you will. So he's, he rides that middle line really well, and I like that about the character. Uh, he has a really interesting history where late in the last issue of the original Thunderbolts run, he basically sacrifices himself to the timeline. So there's a weird time paradox that happens with the team. And in order for the time paradox to complete itself, he has to send himself back into the past and then die and then replace himself endlessly. Wow. And so as far as anyone knew... Uh, he was lost forever, and as soon as I took over the Thunderbolts book and they announced the cast that he was on it, on Twitter they just barraged me with questions. How did he get out of the timeline? When are we going to see you know the answer? How did he you know how did he save himself? And to which I say, maybe we'll see, maybe we will. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned, right? Yeah, keep I mean, reading. My interpretation of this, I mean, maybe I got it wrong. I really like, briefly looked into this. He, I, think he actually killed his past right, self. Right, And then, and then has to replace and it. And has to replace his younger self. But then, of course, raising the question that if he killed his past self, how could he be around as his older self to replace his past self? <laughs> Comics are amazing. Comics are great. Okay, <laughs> I just figured he had built a machine. He's the fixer. Clearly. I'm sure he'd be able to fix that. That's right. Time paradox program, go. Yeah. He's one of those uh, one of those characters, and Atlas is too, to a sort of a lesser degree, where their storyline, their their backstory is so convoluted so, at this point. Because it, they start off as Avengers villains, and they go through all these, you know, fights Iron Man, fights Captain America, bounces back and forth for decades, yeah. and then finally the Thunderbolts. And even in the Thunderbolts, 
<coughs> churning through multiple like, iterations and multiple creative teams. And dying and reforming yeah, yeah. and making new bodies. And yeah, it's pretty wild stuff. And so when I'm working on a continuity book like this at Marvel, I, I want to have the knowledge. I want to know what all these storylines are. But you can't refer to all of them. I, I mean, the series would just be endless recap <laughs> diatribe, right? So what I'm trying to do is say, okay, I will never contradict continuity. So I'll never have two characters who have met act like they've never met each other before. Or, or have a situation where a character, you know, acts crazy out of their the context of their personality unless there's a story reason for it, unless I'm planning something around it. And so you're trying to keep all that continuity at bay but acknowledge it where necessary. So if something happens that resembles an old storyline, I can do a little wink and a nod so that if you're reading the book as a new reader, you're just like, you don't really, you don't really pick up on it. But if you are a classic Thunderbolts fan, you're like, oh, Jim knows. He knows. <laughs> yeah. This is just like that time in issue 74 or whatever. Like, And that is a fun kind of toy to play with where you can give the longtime fans something they recognize. But ideally, you're always pushing forward that you're not turning this into like, navel-gazing, endless continuity churning. All right, so should we move on to number two? So number two is Songbird. So Songbird yeah. is Hold a, on, sorry. Oh. Before you start, <laughs> okay. I got... So Songbird, again, with the Thunderbolts, they're, like, they're impersonating heroes right. for a while. So her, so her original villain name is... Screaming Scre- Mimi. Screaming Mimi. <laughs> yeah, Is her awesome. actual villain name. I, I, I wasn't sure... I was reading an article that hadn't been edited <laughs> by a saboteur. No. That's fantastic. So she was part of a group of these wrestling supervillains called the Grapplers. And I actually remembered them from a Marvel 2-in-1 uh, multi-parter. Marvel 2-in-1 was this series with The Thing, and they would team up right. The Thing with all these different uh, heroes or villains. And Screaming Mimi was just this like mime of a character who's got auditory power. She can scream and blow your brains out or like sound wave stuff and all this sort of thing. And I thought she was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, so they focused her ability. She has this device around her neck that the fixer built that she can like create almost like solid objects out of sound, almost like the Green Lantern kind of thing where she's like making force fields or like punching people she's with sound. And Kind of like that uh, Avengers villain uh, Claw, right? It's same sort of stuff, but hers is now... With her device, she's able to make more permanence. Not permanent, but like objects that will last a little longer. Whereas he's just kind of blasting you. Right. Um, she's also got these sonic wings, so she can fly around and do all sorts of stuff. And she's got a real redemptive arc. Really beloved by the fan base. And um, she is. Uh, she goes from being one of the weakest members in terms of her attitude. She's very uh, unsure of herself and kind of terrified. And eventually she becomes the team leader. Like, we're talking over years of development. So watching her confidence grow and watching her skills grow and seeing that she's able to step into this leadership position, I think, is it's a really cool thing to read over a long span. And um, it's very much in tune with the those sort of opposing sides of the Thunderbolts, whether or not they're going to redeem themselves. She's now a member of the New Avengers and so she's not available for our team, which Damn was the it. other thing that the Twitterverse <laughs> exploded. They were all like, when's Songbird coming back? And I'm like, you know, I'll keep reading. You know, like, not all of this is up to me, but obviously I would love for her to, at the very least, make an appearance at some point and right. uh, be given a hard choice. You know, I think that could be a lot of fun. 
So essentially, she's sort of a graduate, like a, a Thunderbolt school of you know, putting your past behind you. Yeah, sort of. And, and you're bringing that up like as a direct contrast to a character like Atlas that's still sort of going back and forth? Yeah, Is yeah, totally. Key? Yeah, she's definitely more, I guess you'd say her character's evolved a lot further than someone like Atlas. Now, I mean, Atlas is a great character, but he still has never kind of come into his own fully, I think. And whereas she's really, she's a fully formed superhero at this point. It's pretty cool. You mentioned the the Avengers, that she's going to be on the Avengers, because I was reading an issue where the Thunderbolts are hanging out with the Avengers, and I think it was like the Wasp is like, you could be an Avenger one right. day. And now, what is it, like almost 20 years later, yeah. it's it's come true. Is that not weird for the Avengers to be hanging out with the Thunderbolts? Is that not just a little uncomfortable? Well, you, you like got, to field this one? They, you <laughs> got to give on the Avengers have brought on so many members that have been villains in the past. I mean, Hawkeye was originally a villain, even at his first appearance. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were villains originally. Right. Um, but everyone from Deadpool to Wolverine, these are all people that at one point or another they've said, you will never. And then eventually, you know, things change. Yeah, I mean, one of the earliest team changes, I think it was like Avengers number 14, it was Captain America and three former villains, Hawkeye, yeah. Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch. So there's a long-standing tradition of villains you know, re redeeming themselves with the Avengers. And I guess, I mean, we're seeing that everywhere. Like, we even see that in the movies now with the Winter Soldier. We can yeah. all see where that's going. Speaking of the Winter Soldier... <laughs> what, what, what? So the Winter Soldier is leading the new Thunderbolts. So uh, uh. I get to write uh, Bucky, and it's a ton of fun. So he is obviously a redemptive character where he was a... Uh, you know, he was originally Bucky, Captain America's sidekick. Spoilers. And then uh, <laughs> yeah. he goes and... and ends up being captured by the Russians and turned into this uh, sort of brainwashed assassin for them for decades. And they bring him, they basically put him in like cryogenic sleep, bring him out and he murders people and then they put him in cryogenic sleep. So he's able to live, you know, the same span of time that Steve Rogers did with the super soldier serum. And then they bring him back. And now he's, you know, he has been Captain America when Steve Rogers was gone. He's gone through a redemptive arc. But after Avengers standoff, his moral ground, like, there are there are fears that he may have slipped back into a villainous mode. All right, well, I mean, obviously that's something we have to go and see coming up with the next stuff. I mean, not to get too far away from Songbird. But again, it's just interesting to me the, the difference between, like, having the villain who's kind of a good guy and who's not, and I don't know. Whereas this is just, like, she's gone all the way and she's yeah. through. And, like, she, you know, the, the hard times are behind her now, I guess, until she gets in the hands of an author who wants to explore a those differences. Terrible writer who has to <laughs> roll some of that moral ambiguity back mm-hmm. into the mix. And so is she so is she so high on your list because you admire that transformation? Um, like, I think that, yeah, I think it's she's a really... She's a, a character who, because she starts off so... I don't want to say physically weak, but she's so terrified and timid and then comes into her own. I just found it really interesting, and I can see why. I don't want to let fan opinion color all the things I do but equally you don't want to ignore it and when I was researching and reading Songbird just came up time and time again people were like this character is so great and you know she's the heart of the team and she's wonderful and you know it's not the Thunderbolts if she's not involved and just stuff like that it was just interesting to see that kind of loyalty to that character the other thing that struck me when I was reading it especially for a book that came out in 1997 especially in those that early run there was a pretty good mix of male-female characters oh, on yeah. the team. And they've had a, a pretty consistent run of having these strong female characters. Yeah, and they go through the grinder just like anyone else. So they don't they don't use kid gloves on anyone. I mean, there is drama. And they really put them through the ringer in a really cool way. 
And one of my goals very you know, early on is to set that same kind of pace. And I'm not retreading the past, but trying to find new ways to, to put the team through the, the, the grist mill, really push them hard. And that's how you get good drama. That's how you get good action is to put them up against difficult things and tough moral choices and, you know, push them until they're almost going to break and see what you get. Well, speaking of uh, strong female characters, who do you got at number one? So our number one Thunderbolt, my number one Thunderbolt, <laughs> is uh, the one and only Moonstone. And it's probably a pretty controversial choice. So Moonstone has been, I, I'm pretty sure she's been on the team more than anyone else. Seems so like almost it. every iteration of the team, she is there. There's very few versions of the Thunderbolts that she does not appear in. Um, and she is such a rich character for personality, and she is so manipulative and so, I want to say awful, but I mean this in like a (laughs) positive, complimentary way, that she's awful. She pushes everyone to their limits. She tests everyone and is constantly pushing their buttons to see what they're made out of and then manipulating them. And every time you think you've got a handle on her and you think, oh, she's a villain, then she'll just turn just a little bit and do something nice. And you never know if she's doing it for herself or if she's doing it because she genuinely cares. And then she'll twist and twist and turn. And her she is a survivor, pure and simple. Right. No matter what iteration of the team, no matter what. And there have been some very dark versions, the Dark Avengers in particular. They've done some terrible things. And she'll just, she'll, she's a chameleon. She'll morph into whatever she needs to be in order to fit the mold. So she will be very heroic. She will be very morally ambiguous. She will. She's murdered. She's done terrible stuff, all in the name of uh, staying one step ahead of the rest. All right. Well, here. So hitting you with some examples here. What has she done that's awful, and what has she done that's awesome? Right. So there's uh, the early, relatively early in the run, they're on an alien planet, and there's a um, like a, a a civil war going on between these two alien races, and they shouldn't get involved at all, and she realizes that she can get them off the planet fastest if she just kills the leader of the other team, or the other <laughs> race. She murders this, uh, you know, high-ranking person, and uh, several other people know on the team that she's done it, but they won't get home if they arrest her or if they get embroiled in this political war. So she basically is like, oh, we found him this way, and everyone's looking at her like... <laughs> Because she's now forcing them to be... <laughs> so there's sort of a, he was like that when we got here. Essentially. And there's nothing they can do about it. No, and there's a couple other people on the team who never know. And later on, there's these little moments where they're like, you know, she even says something like, well, there's a line we can't cross, you know, we'll never kill. And like three people look at her <laughs> and she just rides it out because she knows that it's far worse if they say something. Because how long have they kept that secret? Right. right? So so not only is it the murder, but it's the forcing these people to stay quiet. Oh, sure. And just twisting the knife. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, that's pretty awful. And so what makes me sympathetic with this character? Well, but she, equally... She so, did get them home. Oh, yeah, she does. She It's like the greater good as far as she's concerned, right? Right. So she does all sorts of things where, you know, she will hold the team together or she will force them to work as a team or she will make the hard choices and basically say this is the only way we're going to get out of this alive you guys are all weaklings i will do the hard thing and we will win and you owe me and so it's this great you know it's leadership by kind of f you i guess it's like it's this fascinating kind of uh uh way of of interacting i still i feel like 
I mean, you know, whenever it comes down to decision-making, I always reference Mass Effect because I'm a video game geek. But it feels like it's the renegade choice. It's like, yeah, oh, you'll yeah. beat the mission, but by shooting the poor lady in the head... <laughs> Like, most of the times, in a lot of our media, we're raised to see that, no, 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 if you do the right thing, eventually everything will work out. And I think that's what's great, is that every so often, Moonstone will do the, quote, wrong thing, and she still wins. So the story kind of gives you the sense of, maybe that was the right choice. Yeah. Maybe, you know, that's just the way it's going to go down. <laughs> this is it. I just, I'm picturing Captain Picard looking over the Prime Directive. You know, yeah, just like why did you do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of well, the one of the cool things about her, as far as an origin goes, is it, like most of the supervillains tend to be scientists right. or like boxers or something like that. But she was a psychologist. Yeah, and so she's a manipulator. That's yeah. one of her. Oh, things. is that part of like she knows yeah. how to mess with your head? Oh, right. totally. Oh, and so I she'll do that. this thing too, where she will you know, offer to help people in the team and like, oh, talk to me about your problems. And then she knows your deepest, darkest secrets. And they're like, well, if I ever need that, I've yeah. got you by the short and curlies. It's like Harley Quinn started off as a psychologist, psychologist too, yeah. but they never really do anything with that in the later comics. She's just sort of a wacky character. Funny you mentioned that. Uh-oh. <laughs> so I did a Legends of the Dark Knight two-part story and one of the things that happens in it is uh, Harley Quinn, it, uh, it's called Dr. Quinn's Diagnosis. And so Batman needs to find out where the Joker is. And we don't even explain what the Joker has done, just that something terrible is happening on a tight timeline. And Harley has the info. And Batman captures her and is like, tell me, you know, the city's at stake or whatever. And she goes, if you let me psychoanalyze you, I'll tell you what you want to know. And she pulls out a clipboard and starts asking him questions. And so the first half of the story is all action. It's a chase and a capture. And the second half is all like this weird think double think kind of psychological uh warfare and it's a very uh one of the most enjoyable projects i've ever worked on so you're linking that to moonstone can we could do we get to know if we're going to see moonstone so moonstone's on the new team right and so obviously you're intrigued by this what i'm getting at is tell me your secrets of the story she is totally (laughs) going to be like again we're in, we're inserting her, and she is the she's the flint to the steel. Like everyone is just going to spark off her in terms of drama, okay. and she's going to be pushing and pulling all the. And she doesn't necessarily believe. Like keep in mind, everyone on the team is a founding member except for Bucky, but Bucky's the leader, ah. and she is so not happy about that. <laughs> so almost immediately, she's looking for poke ways she can poke holes in his leadership capabilities. And let's be honest, that means you are looking for, as the writer, you are looking oh, yeah. for ways so to poke al- holes. Almost immediately, it's this fun thing where everything he does, she's either not approving it, like she's just sort of watching from afar, or she's just pointing out mistakes, or outright telling him he's doing it wrong, and then forcing the other team members to kind of pick a side. And it's uh, right from issue one that, that uh, drama is palatable. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm jazzed. I can't wait to um, read it. So that's your top five. Obviously, before we let you go, we want to hear a little bit more about what's coming up. Sure. So you've mentioned that the teams so far we've confirmed. We've got Bucky and we've got Moonstone. Right. Bucky, Moonstone, Atlas, Fixer, Mach 10. He's up to Mach 10 now? Yeah. In issue one, he's Mach 1. <laughs> In issue one of Thunderbolts. Yeah. yeah. Now he's Mach 10. We're talking almost 20 years later. Uh, I think we were up to Mach 8. And then we were talking about it internally, and we're like, ah, some time's gone by. Mach 10 sounds better. It's just like Windows, right? You just right. skip the 9. Yeah, yeah, 9's for chumps. So we just go straight to Mach 10. And uh, John Malin, who's drawn the books, done a really cool design for Mach 10. Anyways, uh, and there's a new character who comes out of Avengers Standoff, who we can't talk about yet. Um, 
but she will also be a point of drama on the team. Intriguing. All right, well, special thanks to our special guest, Jim Zub. You're talking to us about the Thunderbolts. Um, your series, is it, you're, you're writing the new Thunderbolts yeah. comics, which is awesome. The first issue is out May 4th. That's right, along with a bunch of other stuff. So uh, Thunderbolts is not the only comic I'm doing right now. The new Dungeons & Dragons comic series also launches May 4th. Total just good synchronized timing. <laughs> and then um, my ongoing series at Image, uh, creator-owned series called Wayward. It's a bit like Buffy in Japan. So it's teenagers fighting Japanese mythological monsters. Um, the third collection collection of that also comes out May 4th. Uh, the uh, comic gods have been kind. It's a big month for you. <laughs> so May the 4th be with Zub. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty happy about that. All right, and if folks want to check you out, you've got, you know, you've got a web zone. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the uh, webinator. So if you go to the internets, you can find me at www.jimzub.com, J-I-M, Zub.com. We're oh, okay. Canada. We're <laughs> you know, Canadian. I'm so used to doing American podcasts. I'm sorry. I'm also Canadian. Yeah. Anyways, um, and on my website, I've got interviews and previews and links to buying stuff. I've also got a bunch of tutorials on how to write comics. So everything from breaking down a story in a script format to um, sort of pacing, uh, writing action scenes, even some of the economics of creator own comics. So if your listeners are interested in ever making their own comics or they love that kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, they might find that really interesting. And maybe they'll get invited onto Geek Top 5 one day. Yeah. Isn't that a goal? <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks so much for coming out, Jim. Uh, special thanks while we're here to Ben Sound, bensound.com for our theme song. Uh, special thanks to Stella Simunova for putting this on the web where everyone can hear it. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, anything you want to send to Jim, well, Jim's got his own Twitter, so yep. you can do that. It's just at Jim Zub. At Jim Zub. But you can also send stuff to us all kinds of different ways. Graham knows them all. We're at GeekTop5 on Twitter. We have Facebook.com slash GeekTop5. You can go to www.geektop5.com, and you can email us at GeekTop5 at gmail.com. Send us something interesting, something compelling, or just send us something crazy. We might mention it on the air Ooh. or on the web. Yes. Whatever that is these days. <laughs> You've been listening to Geek Top 5, the podcast. We'll see you again soon.